You know, uh, that's about the best introduction I've ever had. And I conclude, I've made a decision, it is not a sin to exaggerate in talking about your grandfather. So, <laughs> so I'm glad to be here. I have to come back every once in a while and see what you've added on to or what you've built that's new. And here you are, you're ready to start a fourth service. And that's almost unheard of. And I commend you. And by the way, uh, we stopped in Vincennes yesterday to see the building for the new church plant there, uh, Bethany Christian Church in Vincennes. And I don't think I have ever seen a new church start with any better facilities than you have given to that. And uh, that's just a great, great thing. Uh, I always walk around through the children's department every time I come here. Uh, it's bright. It's clean, it's attractive, and it just kind of puts me in a good mood to walk through it. But I wish I could get every church in the country to visit your children's department. And uh, you, you, everything's great, your music department and everything. I better shut up and get at it here. Um, I have a very simple sermon. Well, I guess all of mine are pretty simple. But this is simpler than simple. And I'm going to read a passage of scripture from the book of 2 Timothy. Paul is writing to his friend Timothy in this book, 2 Timothy, this little epistle, and giving him some advice. And it's good for us. So I'm going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Just listen. Let this soak into your mind. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, pay special attention to this. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Let me go over it again. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. I like to lead you in prayer before I get started. Father, as I always pray, give everyone here something good for their souls, something that will help them, something that will bring them closer to Jesus. That is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a lady author by the name of Kathleen Norris. Uh, she wrote for a lot of national publications. But I remember a story that she wrote for the Reader's Digest. She had attended a wedding, and she said everywhere she turned, it was happy, happy, happy. For instance, she said that she sat down behind two couples at the ceremony, and the wife of one tapped the wife and another one on his shoulder and heard her say, they're bound to be happy. 
She is so beautiful, and he has such a fine position. And then when she was standing in the reception line, someone came up and said, oh, they're bound to be happy. His parents have given them a new house, and her parents have given them a new car. I admit that helps, but uh, she was going to her car on the parking lot, and she heard one say, oh, they're bound to be happy. She is so beautiful, and he's just a handsome guy. And she thought, happy, happy, happy. When are people ever going to learn that real happiness comes in right relationships, and especially a right relationship with God? That's what Paul is talking about when he writes to Timothy. He starts out and calls him his son in the ministry. He says that he prays for him. He tells Timothy that he longs to see him. He reminds Timothy of his faith and his big, good background, the faith of his grandmother and, and his mother, uh, Lois and Eunice. And uh, in verse 6 he says, I want you to fan in the flame the gift that I have given you by the laying on of hands. We have to remember that biblically an apostle could lay hands on somebody and impart some spiritual gift to them when they receive Christ as Savior. And Paul had done that for Timothy. I don't know what that gift was, but Timothy evidently was letting down on it, and Paul said, get busy on it, fan it to flame. Now, when we accept Christ, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and probably he gives to you, I'm certain he gives to you, some spiritual gift. It's our job to discover what that is. It may just be the gift of serving. I think that's the one most people give. But find out what it is and fan it into flame and go to work on it. But then we have that seventh verse that I repeated to you twice. For God does not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love, and of, of self-discipline. That's my sermon outline. Can't beat one that you take right from the Bible. Number one, God did not give us a spirit of timidity. The translation's a little difficult there. We sometimes translating uh, into English from the original language of the Bible is a rather difficult thing to do. And so, one translation, the King James says, God did not give us a spirit of fear. The Revised Standard Version reads, God has not given us a craven spirit. The New International Bible reads, God has not given us a craven fear. However you look at it, there are two great enemies in your life. These are two great enemies that keep you from having what Jesus called the abundant life. You know, he said, I came to give life and that you might have it more abundantly. The first enemy is a fear of the past. I don't know, maybe you've had some bad experiences in life. Bad experiences give you a fear of the future. You may think it's always going to be that way. Or maybe um, you have something that makes you feel guilty in your past. And as a result of that, you fear the future. And maybe some people just have superstitions that they live with. 
And so a fear of the past can take away from this abundant life. The second enemy is, of course, a fear of the future. If our souls are not anchored to God's word, then we have no security in our salvation. And if we have no security in our salvation, we are bound to have fears in life. Now, Jesus was fearless. The apostle Paul went ahead in spite of fear. The church in the book of Acts went ahead in spite of fear. And we find that with God's word, we can conquer fears. I read the Bible, and I'm made aware of the fact that God loves risk takers, people that will step out in faith and risk something for him. And uh, I'm reminded of a story that really, to me, illustrates this security and risk-taking. You know, for many years, there was a lot of steamship traffic on Lake Erie from the Canadian side into Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, that was quite a marketplace in the early days of this country. And Lake Erie can have some terrific storms, equaling the storms that you have on the ocean. And there's a story about this little steamboat coming from Canada two hours out of Cleveland and Harbor, and they're in this terrible storm. And the captain isn't sure that he can keep the thing upright. But he thinks of a person on board, and he sends for a steward and said, in a certain cabin, there is a lady that is very elderly. She is on her way to visit her daughter in Cleveland. Would you go sit with her? She must be scared out of her wits of this storm. So the steward knocked on the cabin door, and the lady answered the door, and he said, ma'am, the captain sent me. She said, well, sit down, whatever for. Why did he send you? Well, he thought about this storm that you might be afraid. And she said, me be afraid? What should I be afraid of? And he said, well, madam, it is a very bad storm, and we're still two hours away from the Cleveland Harbor. She looked at him and said, young man, I want to tell you something. I have a daughter in Cleveland, and I have a daughter in heaven, and I know I'm going to see one or the other in the next two hours, and it doesn't make much difference which. Now that is security. That's security. Now, you can have that, but I think that you make a mistake. And I think this is probably the most popular religious mistake that is made in our country. And I know that I have given this to you before, but repetition is the great law of learning. And here it is. I think most people believe that if they live their life every time they do something good, God puts it down in this column over here. And if they do something bad, God puts it down in this column over here, and then we die. And God draws a line under each column, and he adds them up. And he subtracts a smaller number from the larger. If we have something left over on the side of good, we go to heaven. If we have something left over on the side of bad, we go to hell. And nothing could be further from biblical truth than that idea. And I think Satan uses that and really works it on us. You don't go to heaven because you're good, because we are not good. We're all guilty of sin. 
We go to heaven because we're in Christ. We go to heaven because we have accepted what God through his grace has given to us, a Savior who died for our sins and then was resurrected to be our advocate in heaven. If we receive him as our Savior and trust in him for our salvation and nothing else, we have it, brother and sister. But are you doing that? Maybe, maybe you're still just depending on yourself. Maybe you're thinking, I'm trying to get more things in this good column. Well, I want us to be as good as we can because God does reward goodness. But there is no doubt that salvation comes through the fact that we are in Christ. Listen to what Paul said in Rome, 2 Corinthians rather, chapter 5 and the 17th verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So simple. If you make Christ your Savior, you are new in the sight of God. All of that old stuff is gone. God's put it away. Everything is new, this life that you live. Oh, I hope you can see that. It's a wonderful experience to know that in Christ we have all of this. Um, i got to go on to the next verse. I could spend the whole sermon on that. But second of all, God does give us a spirit of power. See, he does not give us a spirit of timidity. He does not give us a spirit that causes us to draw back in fear. But he does give us a spirit of power, and we've got to latch on to that. Um, Paul had this in mind. He had that in mind, and he wrote Colossians chapter 2 and verses 6 and 7. So then... Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Get this. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. You know, I like to approach that backwards. I find that if I start overflowing with thankfulness, I can be strengthened in the faith and get the rest of it. But go to God and thank him. Stay in God's word. Do what you need to do to pray. Help yourself help God make you grow. And you will have that spirit of power. Dale Carnegie wrote a lot of books. But in one book he told the story of going to call on Dr. Robert Maynard Hutchins. Robert Maynard Hutchins had been the uh, president of a great university during the Depression years, and yet during those dark, dreary rears of the, of the Depression, he kept that great institution alive and thriving. And uh, Dale Carnegie admired him. And so he sat with this man and he said, Dr. Hutchins, have you had any motto in life that has actually been your key? And this great man said, yes, I adopted a motto by the late Julius Rosenthal, 
who founded Sears and Roebuck. It's on a plaque over there on the wall. And so Dale Carnegie walked over and looked at the plaque, thinking he would read something very intellectual. And this is what he read. When life gives you a lemon, take it and make lemonade. Now that's old today. We've had that thrown at us several times. But what's it saying? When something comes along that you don't like, when something comes along that upsets you, don't give up. You can make something good come out of it if you stick with God. And that's what this spirit of power is all about. There was a lady named Thelma Hopkins, I think was her name. Let me look here. Tompkins, that was it. Thelma Tompkins. Thelma Tompkins married a young army officer in about the year 1939. And she thought they were going to have a wonderful life together on the East Coast because he'd have a lot of time and it was just going to be a great life. Her father was a rather wealthy man. And suddenly World War II came along. And they were transferred from the East Coast to the Mojave Desert in Southern California for field training. And Thelma Tompkins just couldn't take it. She was back on this desert in a little village. Many of the people were the Native Americans from that region. They didn't speak English. She couldn't exist in that. So she wired her father for money. Telegrams were, you know, pretty popular in that day. She wired for money. She said she wanted to come home. She wasn't leaving her marriage. She was just going to leave her husband there and she was going to come back to the East Coast. She got an answering telegram from her father. Here's what it said. Two men sat behind prison bars. One saw mud and the other saw stars. She read that and reread it and said, this is the craziest thing. What is my father trying to tell me? And then she caught on. Why don't you make the best of where you are? He didn't send her any money. She got acquainted with the Native Americans. She studied the wildlife and the growth of the Mojave Desert. She fell in love with that part of the world. And when they were transferred back to the East Coast, she didn't want to leave. But she wrote a book that was a bestseller in the early 1940s. It was called Bright Ramparts, and it was about her battle to make the best of everything and coming through and winning out and loving what she was doing and where she was. We can all have that if we just really go to God for it. In Romans 8, I believe it is the 37th verse, Romans 8, verse 37. It was in this Bible a while ago, and I know it's here now. Here it is. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors. Hey, he didn't say you'd just be a conqueror. He said you'd be more than conquerors. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You can have that. You can have victory in time of trouble. So let's go on with the outline.
God does not give us a spirit of timidity. God does give us a spirit of power. And third, God gives us a spirit of love. The life of Christ was centered around love. The story of the gospel is a story of love, God's love for us, and we have to see that. And I think that we just brush off this idea of love. When I ministered in California for a good many years, we had a very large counseling department because we were almost across the street from a state university, very close to it. And we had a lot of counseling. Um, young guys and young gals, they just wanted to know what life was all about. I learned a lot from the counselors, but here's the one thing I taught them to do. When somebody would come in and they had marriage problems, and they would go through this old satanic line, well, we fell in love and we married, but we're not in love any longer, so we think we ought to get a divorce because it would be wrong to raise children in a home where the parents didn't love each other. And we'd hear that in various forms, time and time again. And I taught them to lean forward and say to the people, hey, how do you know that you're not in love? And they'd say, what? Yeah, come and tell me. How do you know you're not in love? And they'd blither around, you know, and. This old line, well, everybody knows when they're in love, you feel it, and we had that feeling, and we don't feel it anymore. And then they were taught to say, in all of the years that I've been asking this question, that's the worst answer I've ever received to it. <laughs> and then you could start getting somewhere with them, and you teach them that love is not a feeling. Love is a commitment. Where there is a real commitment, the feeling will come along but you didn't lose a commitment because you lost the feeling. You lost the feeling because you lost the commitment. And when, when we could get that across, when we could get that across, then we could make some headway with them. God commands us, you know, uh, to love. And we can love. There's a passage of scripture in the uh, book of Romans. And I believe it's in the fifth chapter in the eighth verse. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were unlovely, Christ loved us. That's a whole idea. So this do-your-own-thing stuff doesn't work. I'll give you a picture of real love, not in a marriage relationship, but a picture of real love just in human relationships. When the war between the states, the Civil War, was winding down, it was evident that Richmond, the capital of the Confederacy, was about to fall. And Abe Lincoln, our president, left word to be notified the minute that the Confederate troops pulled out of Richmond, he wanted to go there. And he was notified, and by train and then by carriage, he went immediately to Richmond. I want to tell you about the first two things that Lincoln did. You can find this, but it's kind of hidden in most of the writings. First thing he did was go to the office of the 
president of the Confederacy, Jefferson Davis. And he asked to be left alone in his office. They posted a guard outside the door, and Lincoln went in. Thirty minutes later, they had not heard any movement. And the guard was wondering if something had happened, and they opened the doors and peeped in. And Lincoln was sitting at the desk of Jefferson Davis praying and shedding tears. He was praying that there'd be enough horses left over to give to the Confederate forces to use in farming when they went back to their farms. He was praying for the widows and orphans on both sides. He was praying that he could pull this country together again. And then he left and walked down the street, of all things, to the home of the Confederate General George Pickett. If you studied history, Pickett's charge in Gettysburg almost won. Had it won, it might have changed the direction of the war. It failed, and the Union came out on top. Lincoln went to that guy's home. He knocked on the door, and Mrs. Pickett came to the door. She didn't know who he was. And her little boy was behind her, and the little boy evidently saw this big, tall giant of a man and held up his hands, and Lincoln bent down and picked him up. And um, he said, is George home? And Mrs. Pickett said, oh, no, he's with these troops. Uh, who are you, sir? And he said, oh, I'm Abe Lincoln. I'm a friend of his. She said, you mean President Lincoln? He said, ma'am, it'll probably never be President Lincoln to George, but you tell that old lovable old rascal when he comes home that I need him in Washington as soon as this war is over. We got a lot to do in this country. Lincoln was assassinated before George Pickett could get back to Washington. But think of that kind of a relationship. Enemies, in a sense, but always a love for each other. Hey, God's talking about that kind of love, a love that never fails. God says, I can give you that if you will stick with me, if you will stick to Christ. And I get down to the last thing. God not only gives us a spirit of power and a spirit of love, God gives us a spirit of self-discipline. We have trouble with the language right there. Uh, one translation, our King James translation, says God gives us a sober mind. I think uh, there's another translation that says God gives us self-control. One says God gives us a quiet mind. I like this one. God gives us a smiling mind. But however you read it, it means that God gives us a spirit of self-discipline that we can control ourselves in the face of panic or passion. I love the story, the comic book stories of peanuts. I don't know. They're deeper than you know. I just happen to have always liked peanuts. Schultz, who drew that comic strip, was a graduate of the Church of God Bible College in Anderson, Indiana. 
And he really knew his Bible. And if you know your Bible, when you read Peanuts, you find allusion to Christian things there and things that are in the Bible. But in one little four-frame comic strip, the little boy, the loser, Charlie Brown, is walking with Lucy, the domineering little girl. And she says in the first frame, Charlie Brown, do you want to know what's wrong with you? The second frame just has him walking. The third frame, Charlie Brown looks at her and says, no. <laughs> the fourth frame, Lucy says, that's the trouble with you, Charlie Brown. You don't want to know what the trouble with you is. <laughs> we can tell people what their troubles are, but we have to see that we have some of our own and that we're only get, going to get them out of the way by getting from God this spirit of self-discipline, which could even be translated a smiling mind. Everything in this world of ours is static, except a human being. Birds will always be birds. Fish will always be fish. Dogs will always be dogs. That's not true of you. You can be less than a human being. The Bible says so. You could actually become a child of Satan. That phrase is used in the Bible. But praise God, you can become more than a human being. You can become a child of God. A child of God through Jesus Christ.